0: Listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, November the 11th, in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're continuing our study of C.F.W. Walter's lectures he gave to students on Law and Gospel. We're today looking at the 30th evening lecture that he did on June the 5th, 1885. He had a number of seminarians, and he would meet with them each week and discuss portions of it. We're going to be taking a look today at the 18th thesis, but I'll tell you, this is uh, both his introduction and the thesis. When I first read it, I wasn't sure I was agreeing with him, and so we're going to take a look at that. He he begins with an introduction and talks about—and remember, he's talking to seminarians—that there are many young men who may have the gifts of being ready for the office of the ministry, but they do not want to become pastors. And the reason, he says, is that in the office of the ministry, they would have to sacrifice their life's happiness and their freedom. He says this is a great delusion, because anyone who wishes to be saved must be ready, if Christ so desires, to sacrifice his life's happiness and surrender his freedom for the Lord's sake. And this is not only for pastors, it's also for every Christian. Therefore, by refusing to become a pastor, a young man does not gain any advantage at all for his lustful flesh. Now, I kind of watch movies and things like that, and I listen to uh, people on YouTube who have some pretty good insights in regard to the political realm. But they'll often talk about that when they were younger, particularly in college. They were not as moral as they are now. They were fooling around in all kinds of parties at college, Uh, drinking, etc. Well, I went to the colleges of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And so I I don't remember many parties at all like that. Uh, You know, we would uh, be in our dorms and occasionally some of the professors would invite us over to their house so we could talk theology and we would have some food, etc. But we didn't have these lustful parties that a lot of people go through and say, well, I don't want to be a pastor. I also am not really in agreement with CFW Walter that when you become a pastor, that you lose your life's happiness and your freedom. I've been a pastor for years, and I've enjoyed a lot of it. Oh, yes, I've made mistakes every now and then, and I could rattle them off. But by and large, being a pastor has been a great life, and I really enjoy it. You can't be sad when you have an adult instruction of 16 people who decide to join the Lutheran church because of the doctrine that they are hearing, doctrine they've never heard before, because the doctrine of the Scripture cannot be known by man. It needs to be revealed. So in that sense, I kind of agree with CFW Walther. If there's a person who is having a lustful kind of joy in life, and they don't want to become a pastor because they're going to lose that kind of happiness, well, then CFW Walther is correct. But I don't want to leave the impression that being a pastor isn't a time of great joy. Because, oh my, I'm on KFUO Monday to Friday, as well as doing the Sunday school lesson on Tuesday. I'm helping with four congregations right now, uh, preaching to them. And it's just really something I look forward to every time I get up. So there's no doubt that in this introduction, remember, he's talking to young men, he says, by the time that a man is ordained, when he is separated from the world for service in the sanctuary, a pastor must have said goodbye to the world and become divorced from it. Now, what Walter is talking about is not the world in the sense of people in the world, but the world of sin the world that satan inhabits and this is a really something to think about that pastors do leave the world in fact those pastors who do not leave the world and i know of two recent pastors who were caught in adultery with another woman besides their own wife well they were removed from the ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Now, in this introduction, he says something. When a congregation has an orthodox yet unconverted pastor who does not believe what he preaches, even though he has grasped pure doctrine quite well with his intellect and memory, this is a real tragedy. Now, I'm not sure I would understand what Walter is talking about, ex- except from a long gospel point of view, because so many sermons today, they don't say anything that is contrary to the scripture, but they don't apply the scripture to the people in the pew. You, you can have a, a whole sermon, and, and a lot of sermons are like this. Let's say you're doing a sermon on israel crossing the red sea well guess what uh the nile uh you can talk about it historically and never apply what it means to the people in the pew and so this is what he means by pastors who grasp doctrine quite well with intellect and memory but they're not really Preaching properly. In fact, I have often said that a pastor, when he preaches, if he just talks about the lectures he heard at the seminary, that's not preaching. The lectures at the seminary help you to understand the parts of the Bible, but you need to go beyond an understanding of the Bible to an application of the Bible. So, a shepherd, a pastor, takes a firm stand, and he is ready to give his life, to shed his blood for the truth and for his flock. And I find that particularly important in the preaching of the law. So, last week, Luther talked about how law and gospel can be confused by an exaggerated view of who Christians are. For example, that Christians are people who never fear death. And he pointed out, no, that's not true at all. We're, we're still sinners according to our old Adam nature, and at times we may fear death. And that doesn't mean we're not going to be saved. Now he's going to start with a new thesis, how a pastor portrays true Christianity in a worse light than it really is. And this is, again, where I, when I first read it, I said, I'm not sure I'm going to agree with this. So let me read Thesis 18, and then I'll tell you how I came to understand what he is talking about. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you describe the universal corruption of mankind so as to create the impression that even true believers are still under the spell of ruling sins and sin deliberately. Well, I've had a lot of experience with people who say they are believers, and yet are they not sinning deliberately? I, I couldn't really understand what Walter was talking about. He is pointing to the historic distinction between ruling sins and sins that are ruled by us. He says, for example, unbelievers, even their outward good works and prayers are sin before God because their hearts are sinful. They don't have proper motivation. And he says, Yet those in whom the Holy Spirit has kindled faith, they struggle against sin. So I began to understand then what C.F.W. Walter was talking about. It's true that true believers may still be sinning, but they do not do so deliberately recognizing it is a sin. And that's what he's talking about here now. In fact, he says that true believers are ruled by deliberate sins is a wrong claim. In fact, here's what he says. No one who is familiar with pure doctrine will make the unqualified statement that a Christian can be a fornicator and an adulterer. Now, when I read that, it reminded me of what he had said the previous week. And that was in thesis 17, where he says, he's talking about wrong views of a Christian. He says, no one can say that Christians never commit a coarse sin. These things do happen occasionally. Well, is that not really what he's arguing against in Thesis 18, giving the impression that a Christian can never be a fornicator and an adulterer? Because we have had members of the congregation like that. I, I remember one of my members was living with a girlfriend, even though his wife was at home, and I would go and I talked to him and his girlfriend. She also said she was a Christian. And we spoke to them about the sixth commandment, I shall not commit adultery. And by God's grace, they agreed. They left each other. He went back to his wife and things really turned out well. Now, what does this mean with Walter? There was a coarse sin, namely adultery, but as he said in the previous week, whenever this happens, Christians surrender unconditionally to the Word of God, even though they may not do so immediately. They may be so blinded by the devil that they think they're not doing any wrong. But in the end, God's Word convinces them that they were wrong they humbly ask for forgiveness. Whereas hypocrites, that is unbelievers, claim as long as they can that they do the right thing. So I I began to understand what C.F.W. Walther was talking about, that true believers are not under the spell of ruling sins and sin deliberately. That is he talks about how seminarians in their first sermons often say that all of mankind lives in this or that sin, even citing mortal sins, as though even Christians were wallowing in such sins. Now, that reminds me of a confession of sins that we have in our liturgy, where we confess that we are poor, miserable sinners, deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment, and I said to myself, well, doesn't that contradict what, Luther, what Walter is saying here? But he says, incredible damage is done when people are forced to hear that we human beings live in every horror, shame, and vice. What is missing here is a qualifying statement. Now, this is really important. He says, when you say that Christians do live in shame and vice, you should always couple it with as we are by nature, or as long as a person is still in that state of natural wickedness prior to his conversion. So if you're talking about what we as Christians do by our old Adam then you cannot overemphasize the horrible qualities of man's natural condition. But when you're addressing a Christian congregation, you have to be very careful not to speak as if all Christians live in shame and vice. And what he's referring to is that there is no repentance. In fact, the church even has the right of excommunication if you're dealing with so-called Christians who are living in unrepentance concerning a particular sin. He makes a big point that everywhere in the Bible, there are two groups of humanity, believers and unbelievers, the godly and the ungodly, the converted and the unconverted, the regenerate and the unregenerate persons. And he makes a point that even Christ recognizes only two kinds of human beings. So, your listeners must learn through the sermons that they are either spiritually dead or spiritually alive, either converted or unconverted either under the wrath of God or in a state of cr- uh, grace, either Christians or unbelievers, either asleep in sin or awakened to a new life in God, subject in either the devil's kingdom or God's kingdom. So I begin to understand now what C.F.W. Walther is saying. It's not that Christians don't sin, but their sin because they are spiritually alive, is recognized as going against the will of God. And therefore, they repent of their sins. In fact, every time we have the Lord's Supper, they make that confession of being poor miserable sinners. So, to say that a Christian is therefore living in sin confuses law and gospel in the most horrible way. And you can stumble into this error, he's talking to seminarians, despite your best intentions, if you claim that we all are horrible sinners who need a savior. When we speak of horrible sinners, we must not be referring to Christians Because, yes, every Christian has weaknesses, but they are covered with the righteousness of Christ. And these things God does through them. All baptized Christians, Walter says, may apply to themselves the declaration of God, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Yeah, Walter says, this can be said even of Christians. And he uses Bible verses to back this up. Romans six fourteen, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What Walter says, Paul is actually saying, not only that sin should not dominate Christians, but that sin is not able to dominate Christians. If a person allows sin to rule him, that is a sure sign that he is not a Christian but a hypocrite, no matter how pious he pretends to be. He quotes from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. He says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, And then he lists those who are practicing sin and allowing it to rule over their lives. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Therefore, what Walter is talking about, the Christian is not ruled by sin, which means that he still may fall into sins but he fails to repent of them. That's what makes the difference. And what is a Christian's repentance consisting of? That he no longer desires to commit these sins. And so the point is, whoever commits these sins intentionally has proof that he is not a Christian, but is condemned and moved not by the Spirit of God but by the spirit of the devil. And and that's really something that we need to keep in mind when we as pastors are dealing with Christians. He talks about the Calvinists who say that a person, once he's obtained faith, can never lose it. But that's not true because there's Bible passages that show that if you fall from the faith, uh, Romans 8, for example, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So this is really something I had to learn, that it's not wrong to say the Christians sin. But it is wrong to say that we are such immoral sinners that we ought not be saved, if you're a Christian, because God has not only given you the Holy Spirit through which you repent of your sins, but he has also given you confidence that God regards you highly, just like he does his Son. In view of these various texts about the works of the flesh, is it not shocking when men who want to be Christian theologians say that people can be in a state of grace while living in shameful sins, such as the ones mentioned in the Bible? For example, David and Bathsheba is an example that he gives. If you only tell people that Christians remain sinners until they die, they will often misunderstand you. Some will lull themselves to sleep with the idea they are poor and weak human beings. Yet they still have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is a false faith. So, what he wants the seminarians to learn is to really prepare their sermons at a time when holy people still having and feeling original sin but daily repent and strive against it and they happen to fall into manifest sins like david with bathsheba then faith and the holy spirit have left them if sin does what it wants the Holy Spirit and faith are not present. John says, and this is 1 John 1, eight. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, and he cannot keep on sinning. That's the whole point here that Walther is saying, that according to this confession of the Lutheran Church, that we do not do mortal sin, which refers to sin that is unrepentant. We do venial sin, repenting of that sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it is wrong to talk about Christians who have faith in God as those who are horrible sinners from God's point of view and they are under the spell of ruining sins deliberately.